This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we thank you for our Savior. And Father, we ask most of all that we will see him, that we will recognize the counterfeits by looking to the truth. We pray for your holy angels to be here. And Father, we ask in the mighty name and by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that you will bind and cast out every evil influence and any evil spirit that seeks to interfere in your work in our lives. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I appreciate y'all being patient with me. I'm I'm trying to get over a little bit of a cold. I know there's a lot of people that apparently have had whatever this is, so if my voice starts to go, that's what it is. So just bear with me. I don't remember how many more slides are in this one, so what we'll do, as long as you guys don't mind, we'll just work through these as we, as we have time. If we get through this one and we have time to keep going, we'll go ahead and start on the, the second one. But what we began talking about there was the Eastern mysticism and spiritualism and recognizing that It's the same power behind both, whether it be in Hollywood or whether it be through music industry or whether it be even in sports industry. I don't know if you guys had ever noticed or not, but they have these necklaces that people are wearing now that is supposed to energize you. Has anybody ever seen those before? Um, A lot of the professional athletes are doing it, and it's this special metal that they say is on this cord that goes around your neck and they say that that metal has been electrically energized and I remember when uh, when I first was introduced to it somebody had sent me a question and I thought well that's like an amulet you know in witchcraft you know or a gem or a stone you know we would uh, take something like that and you put it on a, a cord and keep it in your pocket or around your neck because it would hang in front of your thymus and your thyroid gland and it was supposed to energize you. Well now you can go to any sporting goods store and pay big bucks for these very professionally crafted necklaces that look scientific and uh, when you call and you talk to them and you say well how are they energized? I mean did you hook them up to 110 coming out of the wall? Did you Uh, put electrodes on it, is it 12 volt? How is it energized? And if you can find somebody that's honest, which usually you can if you push a little bit and ask the right questions, they'll tell you it's energized by words being spoken over it. So the energy that they're talking about is a spiritual energy. It's not electrical, not something you can measure. 
We're not going to be <clears throat> we're not going to be able to go into the acupuncture in this series and the eastern healing techniques, but if you are interested in that, we have a great deal of information that we're having to uh, leave out of these just for time's sake that is available on the, the longer series, especially the one from uh, Australia. It's called The Dragon Revealed Down Under. That one is an eight-hour series, and we, we were not limited on time on that one. So if you're interested in going deeper and you want to find out more, the part on Eastern Healing, which is number four of the Dragon Revealed Down Under, you can go online, and Little Light Studios and us have put it on there for free. It's an hour and 45 minutes. You will not waste your time you know, watching. If you only get to watch one, that one is free, and that, it's well worth seeing. But it goes through Reiki, iridology, kinesiology, reflexology, muscle testing, homeopathy, um, aromatherapy. I know aromatherapy is really big right now. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with oils, but you have to know where to draw the line. Is this chemical or is it spiritual? And that's where the lines are being crossed. So we go through and we show who the founders are of each of these arts. We show you quotes from them, and then we show you quotes from the Eastern mystics, and you realize it's the same thing that they're talking about. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself as servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? If I yield, if I take little Johnny and Susie, to a karate dojo and the instructor tells them to do something and they yield and obey and God's word has told them not to do that thing, they've just chosen whom they're going to serve. And the Bible says they become a servant or a slave or in bondage to whom they choose to obey. And God spake all these words, saying, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. These men are men from Europe and America. And they've traveled all the way to the Shaolin Temple in Hunan Province, China. And they are bowing and worshiping before the Shaolin abbot. He's the current abbot that's there right now. And an abbot of the temple is the one that oversees the temple. Every other discipline, everything that is taught in that temple, he has to be familiar with. That means you have some monks at Shaolin Temple that are religious monks. They're there because of Buddhism. They're there because they want to be a Buddhist scholar or a Buddhist master. That's their whole purpose. And then you have other monks that are at Shaolin Temple that are called the fighting monks. They learn Buddhism, but they learn it through their martial training of Kung Fu. This man is head over all of them. 
And if you go to our website, especially the martial arts one, there's, uh, this is just a fact I want to throw in there. How many people have ever seen that symbol done before? Okay, I'm not talking about sign language, the love symbol, but the one you see like in the rock and roll and, right? Okay, you always see it, especially from hard rock people, the people that are the nasty end of the spectrum, right? And then sometime within the last 10 years, you started seeing a lot of politicians do that same symbol. And people were saying, oh, that's the horns of Texas. It has nothing to do with the horns of Texas. And let me tell you what really shocked me. When you go to the Shaolin Temple, there is a room there, a worship room. And they have altars there, and they have three Buddhist statues. It's called the Mahavari Hall. And it is a, uh, a worship room. It's supposedly the highest room. In that temple, the central idol is this great golden Buddha. And he's holding his hands out like that. And the idol is almost 2,000 years old. And you think, wait a minute. When I saw that, I was still in the martial arts. And I thought, this is a rock and roll symbol. How can this idol in China be using this rock and roll symbol? And I had to start doing some research. Well, come to find out, that symbol is the symbol of the god Pan. Where you get Peter Pan from? That's where Peter Pan came from. He was the god of immorality and rape and violence. That's what he is known for. When you read that little story about Peter Pan, it's not such a nice story if you read the unedited version. Okay? We should not be setting anything in front of our eyes or in front of our children if it's not found in God's Word. I mean, I had no idea. But this symbol that this Buddhist statue was holding up in his hand that you see the rock and roll stars holding up. They're saying, this is who empowers us. That's who this Buddhist statue was saying. This is where my power is coming from. Because the Buddha wasn't a god. He just claimed to be enlightened by the gods. And then you see all these politicians holding this symbol up and all these other people. They're literally letting you know, this is where our power comes from. These men are bowing before him because they want his blessing. They go to the Shaolin Temple and they request an audience with the abbot. And you have to show, I've got lineage, I've trained, my, my certificates are legitimate, my lineage is, is legitimate. This was, you know, passed on generation after generation. And if you can prove all that, the abbot will grant you an audience. And if not with him, then you get an audience with one of the other monks, a master or a disciple. But if you are a high level, like an eighth dawn, ninth dawn, tenth dawn, you can go see him. And he will lay hands on you and bless you and bless your art. Now I want to share something with you. And we may go in farther today on this. 
If you have an instructor at a martial arts school, and that instructor has been blessed by his master, let's say the instructor is just a, a third degree, okay? That's not a master. Normally you have to be a sixth degree to be a master. But let's say this instructor is a third degree. He's got a sixth degree that has blessed him. And he's there and he teaches his black belts and his spirit or the spirit that is in him is passed to his black belts. And his black belts are training his brown belts and his green belts. And that spirit is being passed from the sixth dan to him, to the black belts, to the brown belts, to the green belts, to your children or to your brothers and sisters. And a lot of parents will go into a, a martial arts studio because when you open up your yellow page ad and you look, 99% of the ads all look the same. They advertise self-defense, self-esteem, self-discipline. You know, it's all about self, which ought to tell you something. But it sounds good. And they say, well, I want Johnny to be motivated. I want him to be independent. And they go and they start for the first year or so, and they're like, wow, his coordination's improving, and things are looking better. And then after three years, they're like, you know, I didn't want little Johnny and Susie to be quite this independent. I didn't want them questioning my authority. I didn't want them thinking that they were better or stronger or wiser or smarter than their parents. But that spirit is past. Whether you want it to be or not, by beholding we are verily changed. God's word says, don't bow down to them for I am a jealous God. I had a lady that, that was really struggling with Christ and she called me one day and she said, I don't understand this. Why would I want to serve your God? If he's jealous, how petty does he have to be to be jealous? And I was like, I mean, I started praying. I was like, Lord, I don't know how to answer this. How do you answer this? And God spoke. I'm jealous because I'm married to you. I'm jealous for your affection, just like a husband is jealous for his wife's affection. Just like a father is jealous for his son's and his daughter's admiration. You know, if a, if a father is there and his little boy is like gung-ho about the football coach but spits on his dad, that breaks a father's heart. He's like, why doesn't he look up to me that way? That's what God is saying. I am married to you. I'm jealous for your affection and for your attention. Now listen to what they say. The bow-in ceremony is based on a Shinto ritual banishing evil spirits and inviting the presence of the gods. Now this is a, a Japanese dojo. This is not a Chinese, which they call it Daozhang. But this is Japanese. But they're saying at this dojo, this is what the bow-in ceremony is doing. You are inviting the presence of the gods. However, in the context of training, students may think of this ritual as banishing their own personal demons. You can't get rid of a demon just by bowing. 
unless the demon that's with you is under the authority or under less power than the demon that's in the one that you're bowing to. You understand what I mean? If I'm a one-star general and I've got a bunch of sergeants and lieutenants and everybody's, yes, sir, you know, yes, sir, and they're bowing, you know, and then a five-star general walks in, you want to know what? We all bow. Yes, sir. And they're like, I can't believe you're... He's he's a five-star. I'm just a one-star. Satan's army works the same way. All angels are not the same. Even Ellen White says that. There's a hierarchy. They answer to one another. There's some of them that are of higher command than others. When an evil spirit... When an evil spirit is confronted by a greater evil spirit, they, they have to submit. If they don't, there's going to be, and I don't want to be crude, but they're going to have to answer. They would say there's going to be hell to pay for this. You understand? They have to answer for not submitting to a higher authority. That's why in the Bible it says that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, both the things which are in the heavens and things that are on the earth, terrestrial as well as celestial. The words spoken during the bow-in and bow-out ceremony can be translated as, in every moment, another chance for enlightenment. That's their words. People will tell me martial arts are not spiritual. That's their words. And if you go to our website or you watch our other videos, we have hundreds of quotes. It does not matter what style you go to. And I don't... And guys, I want you to know this. I have no pride about what I was in the martial arts. I gave all that up. If somebody, if one of you came in here and punched me right now, I'm just like you. I'm just going to, you know, take the punch and, okay, can we sit down and talk? I gave that up. When, when Christ came to me and he said, Eric, are you willing for me to set you free? I said, yes, sir. He said, are you willing to give up everything that you gain. I said, yes, sir. So that's gone. So when I share this with you, there's no pride in this. But I'm telling you this so that you'll understand. I trained in seven different styles and made black belt level of at least a first on in seven different combative styles. They're all the same. All the internal arts, it's all the same. When I studied in Aikido, I found it was the same thing as what I learned in Tai Chi Kwan. It's the same thing that I learned in Filipino Eskrima or Kali. It was the same thing that I learned in Shaolin Kung Fu. Same thing that I learned in Ishinru Karate. It's the same thing. And when you read the, the masters, they all say the same thing. By bowing, we are giving up ourselves to the universe. That means the Tao, if you're Oriental. To give up ourselves means to give up our dualistic ideas and become one. 
When you become one with everything that exists, you find the true meaning of being. I want you to make a note of that. And also make a note of the symbol. You'll see symbols being used today everywhere, and they're not done just by accident. The Lord said unto Moses, Put off thy shoes from thy feet. For the place where thou standest is holy ground. I'll never forget the first time that I went into a Japanese dojo. And I'm not against Japanese or Filipino or, I mean, it doesn't matter. A martial arts dojo. The first thing that happened was, is one of the students came running up like an assistant, uh, not a black belt, but one of the assistants, they said, you need to take your shoes off. And you know what it does? It makes you feel like, well, this is, some, this is different. You were, we're in a special place. This is a special circumstance. Um, I've got to take my shoes off when I go in here. But when I look in Scripture, there was a specific reason why God told Moses to take his shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. Now let me show you what they say. Train in the dojo as often as you can. Consider it to be a sacred place. Do not take advantage of your privilege or position. Consider the dojo to be the sensei, that's the main instructor's home. This is a place of honor and learning. Think of it as holy ground. Give your best effort to learn the customs, the words, the traditions, and the history of your art. This is an oriental art. You must act as if you are there. That's them. That's not me telling you that. That's them. All the years that I was going to church every Sabbath and going to training the other six days of the week, I would have Christians come up to me and they would say, Eric, you can't be a Christian and do what you're doing in the martial arts. And I was like, show me. Show me from the Bible. And they would, you know, well, here's a pamphlet. And I was like, I would read through the little two-page pamphlet, and I would, I would mock it. And I didn't realize what it was that was in my life that was causing me to mock God's Word. But you go down a path, and you become so blind that you can't see clearly anymore. When you read it from them, you can't argue. Now this is Chuck Norris on the left, and these are uh, two of his training friends. Mike Turchell is the man in the middle. That's the gentleman who's, who this quote is from. And listen to what he says. This was really startling, because I don't, I'm not doubting Chuck Norris's intentions. I know he's a professed Christian. I know he's taken a stand in some good things. So I'm not, I'm not questioning these men's integrity or their profession but I'm saying they've been blinded. Listen to what he says. I don't think people really know why they're taking their shoes off, other than they were told to. Most instructors I asked played it safe and said, it's the tradition. Just don't ask them what tradition, because then you'll be right back where you started. The way I present my answer when a student asks, why do we take our shoes off, is a longer version of this. The student removes his shoes 
to yield to the instructor's right to lead. The instructor removes his shoes because he too yields to a higher power. Now think what the other men said about the dojo being sacred ground. Let me tell you something. When Johnny and Susie's parents take Johnny and Susie into the dojo, and the instructor or the assistant instructor says, you need to take your shoes off whenever you come into the dojo or when you step onto the mat, and, and you say, okay, do this, and this is, it's teaching them discipline, it's teaching them respect. Let me tell you something. Even if that instructor does not know it, Satan's angels know. They're the one that are controlling that dojo. They're the one that are influencing the instructors in that dojo. And if that dojo, if the man that's leading that dojo is a sixth dawn, you can guarantee that there has been a spirit that is not just influencing from the outside, but influencing from the inside. They will not allow you to become a, quote, master unless you have yielded. They will not allow it. So when they see Eric Wilson, Sabbath keeper, Seventh-day Adventist, Christian, and I walk in and pull my shoes off, and they look up and they go, Christ, that's yours. That's your son. He just took his shoes off from me because he knows this is holy ground. He just bowed to me. You're bowing to that instructor, you're bowing to the one that empowers him. I'll never forget something. Years ago, I was working, um, I was working for a security company. We did home security systems. And uh, my best friend and I, strong Christian, we went to this house. And as soon as we walked to the house, this brand new house, uh, the family had just moved in. Um, Really nice lady answered the door. She was Hindu, and she was very sweet. But we came in, and we've got our boots on. They're clean. We hadn't been out in the mud that day. We had our tool bags. I don't like taking my shoes off. If you work as a, a laborer, I mean, you know, it's a pain in the rear end to have to take your shoes off and put them back on if you've got to go back out to the van and get stuff. And it's just, it, you just think, oh, this is going to be a pain. But she said, oh, you have to take your shoes off. And, you know, so my friend and I both started pulling our shoes off, and then the thought came to my mind. And I stopped for a minute, and I said a prayer, and I said, ma'am, I said, can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. I said, are you asking me to take my shoes off because the carpet is brand new, or are you asking me to take my shoes off for another reason? And she got quiet, and she looked at me, and she said, for another reason. I said, I can't work here today. And we loaded up our truck and we left and I called my boss. I said, you know, and he's a Christian. I said, yeah, I can't pull my shoes off out of respect for the demons, those Hindu demons that are in that house with the little idols that they've got on the mantle and all through that. I mean, you can't. You go down to the, uh, to the store, to Walmart or to any of the, go to any of the home furnishing stores, see how many Buddhists and Hindu gods you find on the shelf that they're selling as trinkets. 
Go down and look. And people buy it. It's good decoration. If it's a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Taoist idol, yes, ma'am. Not against knickknacks, no. You know, but, yeah, yeah. Jesus said, be not ca called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And ye are all brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters or spiritual guides, for one is your master, even, even Christ. I want to share something with you. I don't know if we'll have this on one of the other slides today. But somebody in here, I'm not taking names. I don't think anybody's going to see it. Is there anybody in here that's ever been involved in karate or kung fu before? What was a karate master typically called? What was the, the Japanese term? Sensei. How about a Chinese master? Sifu. Sifu. Do you know those two words are very unique? If you look the words up in Japanese for sensei, guess what the word means? One who has been twice born or born before. Yeah, that's what I said. I had been in it for years and had no idea. I went to a Japanese dictionary and right there it is. One who has been twice born. It's a counterfeit. Everything that we see in Eastern philosophy and Eastern mysticism is a counterfeit of what God has in His Word and especially the last message of righteousness by faith. When we call this man our master or our sensei, we are literally setting them in the place of Christ. When we call, and I don't mean... I mean, you know, we call Abraham our father, right? I don't think if you call your daddy father, you know, well, he's my father. I don't think that's what God's talking about here. It's a position of authority. A father as in someone who's not biologically. When we call a man our father. When you go to the Chinese arts, the Chinese arts are very fam family-oriented. Japanese arts can have family, but they are more military-oriented, typically, as overall. The Japanese list things as a military hierarchy, where the Chinese typically will list things more as a family. So the titles for Sifu or Sijo or Sigong or any of the little titles, when you look them up, it'll be an elder brother, uh, an uncle, an aunt, a father, a grandfather, a great-grandfather. Um, so those titles there are exactly what Christ was talking about. Today, Satan is seeking through every avenue possible to destroy faith in God's Word. For he knows that only through living faith is the restoration of mankind again into the image and likeness of God possible. Through evolution... It makes you doubt God's Word. Through our movies, 
It makes you doubt God's Word. Through literature, whether it be secular literature, like novels, or even a lot of the stuff that our young people are being faced with in colleges and universities. My daughter's just finishing her fourth year in university, getting ready to go into um, studying law, and the classes that they made her take, and the literature she had to read, even for English classes, I was like, you better pray before you read that book. You know, I remember Ellen White talking about Thomas Paine and who it was that inspired him. And here my daughter comes home and she's like, look what they're having us read. You know, Thomas Paine. And I'm like, well, here, read this article first before you read Thomas Paine's work. And she was like, Dad. I'm like, trust me. He wasn't just a neat enlightenment thinker. He was demonically inspired. Ellen White said it was Satan himself that guided Thomas Paine's pen. God designed that the temple at Jerusalem... Now, I want, I want you to think about this for a minute. The Bible says, don't you know that our bodies are the temples of God, right? When we read Daniel 8.14 and it says, Under 2300 days, then shall the temple be cleansed, the sanctuary cleansed. I want you to consider what temple it is that God really needs to clean. Because there's no dirt in heaven. There's no spilled blood other than Christ on the mercy seat up there. It's not like he's got a mess he's got to clean up. Listen to what she says. God designed that the temple at Jerusalem should be a continual witness to the high destiny open to every soul. But the Jews had not understood the significance of the building which they regarded with so much pride. They did not yield themselves as holy temples for the divine spirit. The courts of the temple at Jerusalem filled with the tumult of unholy traffic represented all too truly the temple of their hearts defiled by the presence of sensual passion and unholy thoughts. And just to let you know, sensual passion does not mean um, immorality. Sensual means fleshly and passion means desires. So you can have fleshly desires for food. You can have fleshly desires for sports activities or for what kind of clothes you want to wear. This is the temple. They would not yield themselves. And it says that the courts of the temple at Jerusalem filled with the tumult of unholy traffic. Have you ever wondered why Isaiah talks about and Ezekiel talks about Satan before he fell? He says in Ezekiel chapter 28, by the multitude of your merchandise, you defiled your sanctuaries. The multitude of your merchandise. And I asked the Lord one day when I was reading, I was like, what is that talking about? What kind of merchandise? And God was like, the same kind of merchandise that you deal with. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, haven't you ever heard that little whisper that says, oh, come on, Eric, it won't cost that much. The price won't be that big. I know God said you'll die, but he won't really kill you. He wouldn't. 
Look, it's on sale. You can sell your eternal birthright for a moment's pleasure. We're running a special this week. And we laugh about that, but you know it's true. Do you know Satan, it said, defiled his sanctuaries? Holy and most holy. He defiled his sanctuaries through the multitude of merchandise. Is it really going to cost me what the Lord said? Side by side with the preaching of the gospel, agencies are at work which are but the medium of lying spirits. Many a man tampers with these merely from curiosity. But seeing evidence of the working of a more than human power, he is lured on and on until he is controlled by a will stronger than his own. Let me show you an example of that. When I started in the martial arts, God said, don't bow. And I got to one of the instructors in Aikido, and they were like, you have to bow. It doesn't mean that. I know God's word says, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't mean that. You're just bowing to show respect. This is courtesy. And I'm like, well, why are we bowing to the front, to the showman of the dojo? And why is there all these icons up there? And why is there a picture of Morii? Yueshiba there on the wall. And why are there candles there? It's just formality. It's showing respect for our ancestors. No, you're bowing to the spirits that empowered them. And when you bow, you're asking for those spirits to come and empower you. So you take that first step, and it's a small step. And then the next step gets easier, and the next step gets easier. And we begin to rationalize what we're doing. He is lured on and on until they are controlled by a will stronger than their own. They cannot escape from its mysterious power. The defenses of your soul are broken down, and you have no barrier against sin. When once the restraints of God's Word and His Spirit are rejected, no man knows to what depths of degradation he may sink. Secret sin or master passion may hold you a captive as helpless as was the demoniac of Capernaum, yet your condition is not hopeless. The means by which we can overcome the wicked one is that by which Christ overcame, by the power of the Word. Roberto, do you know what time we've got? We've got till what? Oh, wow. Eleven thirty. So we've got about fifteen, twenty minutes. Okay. Okay, all right. Sometimes it's so hard to read this and not... There's so much here by the power of the Word. Let me share something with you real quick. Do you know what Jesus said? When Satan came to him, what was his response to every temptation? It is written. 
Thus saith the Lord, thus saith Jehovah, thus saith Yahweh. However you feel comfortable pronouncing that, do you understand? It is written. He didn't say, thus saith the Lord, and leave it at that. He said, it is written. Let me share a thought with you. I want you to seriously consider this. Written where? Written within the heart, written within your very DNA. Do you know that Ellen White says the law of God is written in every nerve, every fiber, every muscle, every fiber of your being. God's law is written there. I can't wait till after lunch to share some of this with you. It's written inside of your DNA. When you claim that, it is written. The Bible says in Proverbs, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Do you know, you want to know why? As you think in your heart, so are you? Because the blood goes into the heart, all the trash is dumped out, and the good blood that has been cleansed is then passed to every cell in your body. If God's law is written in your heart and that blood, which the life is in the blood, we're told in Leviticus, if that life passes through the heart, God cleanses it in the heart by His Word, and then He sends it out with His law of life. You know what the law of life is? It's the opposite of the law of sin and death. In Adam, we sin and die. But in Christ, we live. The moment we take hold of that, there's no more failure. By faith. Jesus wasn't saying, Satan, go read this. Don't you remember God wrote this down? He was claiming that promise. It is written within me. I will not commit adultery. I will not lie. I will not bear false witness. I will not bow. God said so. Hallelujah. God does not control our minds without our consent. But if we desire to know and to do His will, His promises are ours. For He assures us we shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I read that verse one day, and I was like, God, I am battling with sin in my life. You promised the truth will make me free. I was like, okay, what doctrine do I not know? God was like, you missed the whole point. Truth is not a doctrine. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, look the word up in Greek. Do you know what the word truth literally means in Greek? It means verity. It means verity. It can't fail. The truth will make you free. Jesus prayed to our Father and he said, Father, sanctify them. Make them holy through thy truth. Yea, your word is truth. How does God make something holy that's not holy? Does He work on it? Does He put it on a 12-week program? 
He speaks it. That's the same way he made everything. Do you want to know where he says that? He says, be ye holy because I am holy. He's not telling you to do something. He's telling you to believe something. Are we the body of Christ? I know I'm going off track. You'll have to forgive me. Are we the body of Christ? Okay, what part do you want to be? Yeah, what part? If you had to be a part of the body of Christ, what part do you want to be? Okay, well, you can't be the head because Christ is the head, but that's a good place to start. Where else if you had a second choice? Right hand. Okay, he wants to be the right hand. Who in here wants to be the left hand? Or the foot, or the heart, or the navel, or the stomach? We are the body of Christ. Christ says, I am holy, therefore be holy. You can't be other than what he is if you'll believe it. That's the fight you've been called to fight, is the fight of believing God's word. And Satan knows that. If I can get them to doubt, they'll lose. But if you don't doubt, you can't fail. Hallelujah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. You know what Ellen White said? She said, forsake your thoughts. If you're a sinner, if you fell this morning to sin, she said, forsake your thoughts. There's no salvation in them. And receive the thoughts of God. And you know what God's thoughts are? He tells you in Jeremiah 29. These are the thoughts I think towards you, Eric William Wilson, whatever your name is. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. That means to give you what you have faith for. God, you promised me. Do you remember when Jacob was wrestling with, with Christ? What does the name Jacob mean? A liar, supplanter, a deceiver, a heel catcher. That means you're running the race with him and he trips you so he can get in front. He's wrestling with Christ and he says, I'm not going to let go of you. And Christ is like, it's about to be daybreak. You've got to let go. You can't see my face. I mean, I'm verily God. You cannot see my face. And Jacob's like, I'm not letting go. And he says, you know what Jesus said? He said, what is your name? He was reminding Jacob of his sin. That's the same thing Jesus did when he was talking to that woman that came to him. She had a little girl that was possessed, and Jesus is sitting there at the table with his disciples, and, and he's you know, eating and busy, and the disciples are like, man, make her go away. And she finally gets through the crowd, and she casts herself down at Jesus' feet, and she says, have mercy on me, thou son of David. And Jesus looks at that woman, and he says, don't you know it's not right for me to give the children's bread to dogs? And you go, what? Can you imagine Jesus? He called this woman a dog. He was doing the same thing he did to Jacob. He was like, let go of me. Please don't let go. Let go of me. I hope she won't let go. And she looked at him and she said, yay, Lord. That means king. 
She was recognizing him, Lord as king, sovereign king. Yay, Lord. But the dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table. And Jesus, I can see him. He's like, hallelujah, she's got it. She won't let go of me. And he fixed her daughter. And Jacob is there wrestling. And he's, he is a deceiver. We're all that deceiver. But God made a promise to us in Micah chapter 7. He said, I will fulfill my truth to Jacob and the mercy which I swore to Abraham. So you take hold of that promise and you say, God, you swore you would make me holy. I can't make myself holy. Because I've tried and you've tried. We've all tried. And you know what Jeremiah says? He says an Ethiopian can't change his skin. Neither can a Japanese, a Chinese, a white person, or a German. Nor can a leopard change his spots. Job said a clean, an unclean thing can't bring a clean out of themselves. If you will take hold of God's word like Jacob did and say, you swore to me, I will not let thee go except you do what you promised. Ellen White says that's taking the kingdom of heaven by violence and the violent take it by force. You refuse to be denied. And that means if it's your marriage, that means if it's a lost child that's walked away, or a brother or a sister or a mom and a dad, you claim the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ over them and you say, Lord, you swore to me, I will not let you go. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in that whereto I sent it. Now we're going to pause there. And I'm going to need you all, and I'm asking you this. We've got a break for lunch. I want you all to really pray for me over the next two hours, because I've got to get the rest of these cut down to where we can hopefully get them fit into into the time frame that we need. And I want you to pray for one another. And you cut everything off. If it causes you to doubt God's word, cut it off. Get rid of it. God cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. It's impossible. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, God, we are so weak, but Father, you are so strong, and you have sworn to us that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. You have promised us, Father, that this last message, the loud cry of righteousness by faith, that this message begins with us being humble in the dirt so that we will recognize that without you we are nothing but through you and with you we can do all things help us to know your presence and your power today i pray for every family that is represented here every individual that is represented here 
Father, you know our sins, you know our struggles, you know you know our failures. Father, you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. Father, I claim by faith, we claim by faith, and on behalf of your Son, I speak in faith your blessing, even your blessing of Abraham upon every individual and every family that is represented here. That blessing of Abraham, Father, which meant victory over all sin, which meant new birth as sons and daughters of the living God, which means the dominion that was lost by Adam and has been restored to us in Christ Jesus. And the faith of our Savior. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope y'all have a blessed lunch. And look forward to seeing you this afternoon, those that are able to come back. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.